Access to controlled drugs as medicinal tools has always been fraught with moral and ethical challenges. There are also extraordinary regulatory delays and obstacles to making therapeutics available. Regrettably, those who need treatments most often pay the steepest price. Seeking permission to access, procure, and use psychedelics to better treat people with serious conditions is governed by Section 56 of the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act and the Special Access Program, SAP. On January 5, 2022, the food and drug regulations governing the SAP were amended to allow healthcare practitioners to request access to restricted drugs which were previously prohibited. Health Canada revised its special access program for drugs, a guidance document for industry and practitioners to reflect these amendments. While the change appeared to be a quantum leap from a legal perspective, the facts on the ground tell a different story. Access for the potentially thousands of Canadians who may benefit from these breakthrough drugs and therapies has been problematic. This podcast is about the patients, physicians, legal eagles, and organizations that are doing battle to write a system that is simply not working. Welcome to the Psilocybin Chronicles, a podcast about the regulatory challenges facing ordinary Canadians trying to access psilocybin, also known as magic mushroom, as a treatment for acute anxiety and other conditions. I am your host, Mike Rabinovich. In our inaugural podcast, I speak with Thomas Hartle, a father and husband, who was diagnosed with terminal colon cancer in 2016. Since then, he has completed approximately 80 chemotherapy treatments. At one of his lowest points, Thomas discovered the healing properties of psilocybin, which turned out to be the only modality that successfully and without side effects alleviated the acute anxiety he experienced due to his illness. He became the first Canadian to receive an exemption to use psilocybin as a treatment. The process Thomas had to go through was cumbersome and expensive. While his first request was granted, it was valid for a one-year period. His second application for an additional one-year exemption was denied after a 511-day wait. Had he spoken to Thomas prior to 2016, he would have never imagined that a few years later he would become the lead plaintiff in a lawsuit against the Canadian government claiming access to therapeutic psilocybin is a constitutional right under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms for the thousands of Canadians that can benefit from the treatment. This is a story. Welcome to the podcast, Thomas. Good to have you. It's good to be here, Mike. I'd like to start by having you share with our audience where you came from, how did you become the first person to have uh, legal approval for a uh, uh, psilocybin treatment for anxiety, and how did you get to where you are to becoming not just a patient, but also an advocate? Well, um, boy, that's a whole lot of answer, and I will really try to make it a, a compact little uh, unit for you. Um, the very short story is that I have had stage four cancer since 2016. And uh, I was doing very well with my uh, cancer and thought that I had it under control uh, from 2017 uh, when I had my last surgery to 2019. Um, in 2019, I had a, a really aggressive reoccurrence of the cancer. And uh, I found out that the cancer had been progressing without being visible on any of the uh, PET scans 
that they were performing every three months on me. And so um, that realization that the best medical diagnostic tools available were not able to tell me the condition that my cancer is in um, was a real shock to my system. And that's really when my end-of-life anxiety started. Um, I was told by the surgeon uh, after I had a surgery in the summer of 2019 that uh, for me, the end could come really at any time. And that would uh, be uh, like a rupture of my intestines or, or a blockage, which I have had in the past. And uh, anything like that would be not operable for me. So for me, the knowledge that my end could come at any time uh, without any warning um, really put me into a state of anxiety when you get any kind of a, a gas cramp or, or an abdominal pain or any of the discomfort that goes with having stage four cancer uh, would really trigger off an anxiety attack for me on a very constant basis. And so for me, um, having this uh, overwhelming daily anxiety was slowly but surely taking over my life. And I was spending increasingly more time uh, consumed with the idea that today was going to be the last day and less time actually spending with my family and, and forming the kind of memories that you want to share with them when your time is limited, like it is for somebody with a terminal illness. And so I, uh, I of course, pursued getting uh, access to psilocybin-assisted therapy with the assistance of uh, Therasil. Uh, they were able to help guide me in the process of applying for that first Section 56 uh, exemption uh, in 2020. And... Uh, it uh, took the government about 106 days for that first application to be approved. But uh, following that approval, I was fortunate enough to very quickly get access to the therapy and uh, find out for myself how very effective and life-changing that therapy could be. How did you discover that psychedelics and specifically psilocybin could be a potential treatment to address your anxiety? The road to discover that was part of the research that I do online at uh, PubMed. So PubMed would be a website where uh, medical researchers publish their findings. So that would be where your own doctor would go to find the latest research on whatever uh, clinical treatments they are looking for. In my instance, I was looking for uh, different types of mushrooms that would be helpful as an adjuvant therapy for treating my cancer. And I uh, discovered in the course of looking for mushrooms and cancer, the Johns Hopkins studies where they were using uh, psilocybin mushrooms for treating stage four cancer patients and uh, end of life distress, which uh, fortuitously happens to be the exact condition that I have. And uh, 
they were uh, reporting that they were having something like 80% success rates for many of their patients. And being somebody who uh, firmly believes in science, I uh, really couldn't ignore an 80% success rate. So once you discover that, Thomas, what were the next steps? Uh, you had mentioned Section 56 in Theracelso. For our audience that doesn't know, from a layperson, not a legal perspective, what is Section 56? And how did you go about applying and, and getting that approval? In, uh, in 2020, um, there were really two ways that you could get access to the therapy. Um, what I had first looked for would be uh, any clinical trials that might be available. And uh, because that was the uh, the approach that was being used at the Johns Hopkins. So they were performing clinical trials with patients. So I started looking to see what was available in Canada. And back in 2020, there was literally nothing, uh, nothing whatsoever available for clinical trials into psilocybin for anything that I could find. Um, and so the only other way of accessing it was through an exemption to the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act, which is what we refer to as a Section 56 exemption. So in other words, it's uh, Section 56 of the code, and the Minister of Health has the authority to grant someone an exemption to be able to use one of the substances on that controlled list. So. Um, the process for getting access to that is not really complicated. Uh, in my particular case, it was a matter of writing a uh, detailed email to the Minister of Health, where I uh, outlined my reasons for wanting to have access to it. Uh, that had to be accompanied by a uh, diagnosis by a doctor who supported that and uh, some supporting evidence. The uh, representatives at Exemptions Canada with uh, with Health Canada uh, then had a few questions for me, uh, things such as where I had planned on obtaining the uh, psilocybin mushrooms, uh, how I planned on storing it, and uh, how I would be having the treatment, for example. And once I satisfied those conditions, in my particular case, I did not have access to a safe supply because there weren't any licensed producers or anything like that at the time. Um, and my only other options would be to purchase, uh, you know, magic mushrooms from a street dealer, which of course I did not feel very safe at all doing. Um, I decided to grow my own mushrooms. Uh, here in Canada, it happens to be legal to buy the spores because they don't contain any psilocybin. Uh, they only become illegal once you produce the fruiting body, the mushroom themselves, which uh, actually do contain the psilocybin. So uh, totally legal to buy the grow kit, which I just hopped online and found. Uh, educated myself enough on being able to determine uh, what a psilocybin mushroom um, characteristics were. Uh, so in, in that particular case, uh, psilocybin turns blue on contact with air. So when you uh, bruise the mushrooms or cut the mushrooms, 
the uh, the endpoints on contact with air will turn a bluish hue. So that is uh, a good indication that you have got what you think you've got in terms of mushrooms. But I I will not claim to be an expert mycologist. I most certainly am not. Uh, but uh, enough education to be able to to say that yes, these are actual psilocybin containing mushrooms and and probably uh, fit the description of what I was expecting to get. So under section 56, to make sure that our listener understand, Health Canada did not provide you with the psilocybin medicine. They do not. Uh, in fact, Health Canada uh, made it very clear that they do not uh, condone or recognize psilocybin as a treatment for anything. Um, so uh, they do not recognize that it is uh, useful in the therapeutic sense that it was being used at the Johns Hopkins studies or uh, any of the prior research that had been done in places like Weyburn Clinic, for example, back in the days of uh, Humphrey Osborne. But they uh, they do step out of the way with the Section 56, and it is valid for a period of one year. There are restrictions that are associated with Section 56. For example, the uh, the therapy must be performed in the presence of a medical practitioner. You are restricted to how much psilocybin you can have on hand at any time. It must be stored safely. It must be uh, disposed of at the end of that Section 56 and a few things like that. But it is uh, an open access for a period of one year. So whenever the patient uh, feels the need to have a therapeutic treatment during that year, uh, they are able to make arrangements to do so. So you said that a physician must be present when you administer. Yeah. Now, specifically, it is not a physician. Um, I did clear that with Health Canada. And what the phrasing is, is a medical practitioner. Uh, the nature of that practitioner is not specified in the section 56 exemption that I had. So that could be a doctor, it could be a nurse, it could be a therapist. Um, I believe, uh, and I was under the impression that that is really something that was included as a safety measure. So just in case um, the, the session has uh, difficult parts to it, they would have a medical practitioner handy who would be able to uh, care for the patient in that instance. So when you applied, how long did it take from the time you applied till the time you got approval? And second, were there a lot of hoops that you had to jump through to get that approval? The first time that I got my approval was uh, only 106 days. So I, a little over three months. I don't consider that to be a, a horrible time period. Uh, I do know some patients who have not lived the three months that uh, were required uh, in that particular case, uh, and they passed away before they got access to the therapy. But for myself, I'm fortunate enough that uh, that was not a problem for me. After my Section 56 expired, I reapplied to get a renewal on that because it is a very convenient and effective way to access the medicine. And uh, that was a completely different story 
compared to my first application, where Health Canada had a few simple questions that were uh, relevant to processing the application. For the renewal application, uh, Health Canada literally sat on it without any communication whatsoever for six months before I even heard anything from them. And uh, after six months, they asked me a few questions uh, such as, did my doctor still think it was an effective treatment? Even though I had included the uh, the doctor reference letters with the renewal application, um, really felt a lot like busy work from, uh, from my perspective, uh, questions that didn't have any relevance. And my doctor, of course, responded immediately to that and uh, confirmed that they still felt the uh, the treatment would be effective and necessary. Um, following that, there was another extended period of no communication from Health Canada whatsoever. And uh, finally, after 511 days, so like 18 months of waiting for a response from Health Canada, I got an email saying that they intended to deny my uh, renewal application, which it- And the reasoning for that was? So in the meantime, while I am waiting for Health Canada to respond to the section 56, uh, in January of 2022, Health Canada made some changes to what they call the special access program. Now, the difference between uh, a Section 56 and the special access program, where the Section 56 is all patient-centric, so the patient fills out the application, the patient is responsible for procuring the psilocybin, storing it for finding a therapist and and, uh, getting the treatment. The special access program is doctor-centric. So a doctor is responsible to fill out an eight-page application uh, in which they have to uh, outline their reasons for why they think the therapy will work. Uh, The doctor is responsible for procuring the psilocybin, for storing it, for administering the treatment, and for uh, reporting back to Health Canada on the results of that treatment. So also the uh, special access program is good for one treatment. So what did you do during those 511 days to address something that was obviously very challenging to live with? In April of 2022, I managed to get access to uh, psilocybin therapy with a group called Roots to Thrive. Now, they are uh, a group of uh, doctors who will uh, provide the therapeutic access through the special access program. And I was part of a group of terminal cancer patients who accessed it through that one program. Good program. The uh, The involvement of uh, a patient getting access to that is very minimal. Most of it is actually performed by the doctor. But unfortunately, the the program that I found was in British Columbia. And now I live in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and uh, traveling to British Columbia is 
not really practical on a regular basis. It's not like I'm just running down the street to go see my family doctor. Uh, going out to British Columbia when you have active cancer and active treatment for that cancer is a, a real production for me. Uh, not only is it uh, thousands of dollars to travel and stay there, but I also have to uh, work around my chemotherapy treatments, which uh, at the time were uh, every two weeks. So I have one good week, I have one bad week with chemotherapy. And going for a, uh, a treatment in British Columbia means that I have to skip a round of chemotherapy in order to be able to go out there. So it's kind of a trade-off between servicing my mental health and sacrificing my physical health to do so. You've mentioned Theracil as well. So for our listeners who are not familiar with Theracil, what is the organization and how did you work with them? When I was searching for clinical trials here in Canada, I was searching for places that were looking for cancer patients for treatment with psilocybin. And uh, fortuitously for me, uh, that search yielded uh, Theracil as uh, a place to uh, to contact. Now, Theracil is not a clinical organization in any way. They are a patient advocacy group. And uh, where I had first thought that perhaps they would be uh, providing the therapy itself, I found out that that uh, wasn't the case, and they were actually just a group that assists patients with the process of uh, going through that Section 56 application, uh, who to contact, the types of information that they would be looking for in the application, things like that. Um, Theracil uh, also has uh, training programs for uh, therapists who are trying to gain experience with the uh, the uh, psychedelic assisted therapy itself. So uh, where it is really very challenging to find therapists who are trained and qualified in this, Theracil is helping to uh, produce more of those and uh, thereby assist patients like myself for finding therapists who are able to provide that service. When you were going through the process, and I asked about whether there were any hoops that you had to go through, um, any specific requirements that come to mind? Well, uh, with the initial Section 56 application, a big hoop would be finding the psilocybin itself from a safe source. That would be uh, something that I think would be very helpful if Health Canada were actually granting any uh, Section 56 applications these days would be to open up the licensed producer channel to uh, patients directly to be able to get a safe supply. Uh, finding a doctor who is willing to fill out the paperwork for the special access program, huge challenge. Uh, if, you, if you go to your family doctor, for example, uh, now your average family doctor isn't really trained as a therapist. That's not really what they do. Health Canada has suggested that any prescribing physician would be able to fill out the paperwork for the special access program. And that is technically true. But 
what really happens when you uh, go to your family doctor who is not a trained therapist, who has no experience with psychedelic assisted therapy specifically, and almost certainly does not have any experience with psychedelics in any way. When you ask your family doctor, would you fill out this eight page application? You are going to be responsible for this. You're going to be responsible for delivering this therapy and procuring this controlled substance and storing it. And you are going to be responsible for the results of it. And oh, by the way, psychedelics have a stigma attached to them, which may compromise your position with your fellow doctors or your other patients. Your average family physician is not really comfortable with that, understandably. I, I know if, if I was in their position, I, I can totally sympathize with them not wanting to put themselves into a compromised position like that. And so for me, looking for access through the special access program for something anywhere close to me is a huge roadblock for me. In doing research for this podcast, one of the items that I came across was the requirement that you or a physician indicate to Health Canada that there are no alternative treatment. Did you yeah. have to address that? And what did exactly did that mean? What alternatives could there be? There are a number of alternatives and and hoops that you have to jump through in that particular aspect as well. And that was part of my initial Section 56 application. Uh, so you must be treatment resistant. So you've tried antidepressants, you have tried talk therapy, you have tried, uh, in, in some cases, Health Canada is even uh, wanting people to exhaust the route of electroconvulsive therapy which is to me crazy. I mean, I've already got terminal cancer. Do I really want to be electrocuted too? Hell no. <laughs> um, for me, it is my own condition. And I believe that I have the right to choose what therapeutic options I would like to undergo uh, in treating my cancer, for example. Um, if I didn't want to have surgery, I don't have to. If I don't want to have chemotherapy, there is nobody who's going to hold me down and force me to do that. And there's nobody who's going to tell me that I can't have chemotherapy unless I have surgery first. I don't see the treatment of my mental well-being as any different from that. Speaking I, of, of that treatment, was there any other work in order to augment the effect of the psilocybin therapy? Was there talk therapy? Uh, was there integration after your journey? What else was involved that you found helpful? The, the actual process of psilocybin-assisted therapy, um, and the emphasis on this is it is psilocybin-assisted therapy. So uh, this is not just taking psilocybin and suddenly everything is okay. It's actually uh, a three-part process. So there are a number of talk therapy sessions leading up to 
the actual psilocybin experience. And in those talk therapy sessions, you are covering things like what you can expect to experience during a psilocybin session, uh, different strategies that you can use if a psilocybin session becomes challenging. And let's face it, people who are looking at this as an option have got very difficult things that we are dealing with in life. It would be unreasonable to expect that uh, any kind of a therapeutic session is going to be all rainbows and butterflies. We're dealing with difficult issues. You're going to have difficult things to deal with when you are in talk therapy, when you are under psilocybin, and when you're under integration. Uh, and so having a trained professional who can help to inform you about strategies that you can use when things get difficult, and there is a likelihood that you will experience something difficult at some point in your session, uh, that becomes very critical, which again is one of the key reasons why you uh, want to have your therapy delivered by someone who is trained and experienced in the use of psychedelic therapy because it is not the same as regular talk therapy. But uh, a number of talk therapy sessions followed by an actual psilocybin experience. So that would be a heroic dose, as they, they call it, which would be three to five grams uh, or in the neighborhood of 25 milligrams of psilocybin in synthetic form or an extract, uh, which results in uh, a very profound uh, psilocybin altered state of consciousness for a period of, say, four to six hours. Now, uh, towards the end of that experience and in the following weeks, there is a series of integration sessions where uh, you get a chance to talk about the experience and what uh, meanings you may have derived from that or uh, realizations or what I would call aha moments. Um, the aha moments that come to you uh, following an experience like that, in, in some cases, sound trivial and trite, but the uh, the psilocybin experience has a way of allowing you to address very difficult and painful things in a way that is a little more detached from that real hot potato element of these things. And so when I have an experience, uh, for example, the, uh, the idea of life after death for me was very academic prior to having a psilocybin experience. Uh, you know, you can read about other people's experiences and near-death experiences and, and what everybody thinks life after death is going to be like. But to actually, for me, experience consciousness in a way that did not have anything to do with this life that I'm experiencing, that for me was a little bit of uh, maybe a sample or, or a flavor of what life after life could look like. 
I didn't understand how consciousness could continue without the body to uh, to form the consciousness. But in a high-dose psilocybin environment, you uh, you experience what they call an ego death. And in that ego death, my consciousness um, still continued and still had an experience, but it had nothing to do with Thomas, uh, let alone being able to remember that I had a family or what their names were or what their faces looked like. I was just having an experience of being something other than me. And, and it was comforting for me. Do you have any other aha moments that you can share? Boy, um, it, it's something that occurs for a number of weeks following that. And uh, boy, <laughs> there, there have been a lot of things, um, I, I guess, for things of relevance. Let me ponder that for a minute and I'll circle back to it. Fair enough. In terms of the impact that the psilocybin treatment had on your anxiety, hmm. was it immediate? Did it take a while? How long did it last? The, the impact of that first psilocybin session was uh, incredibly immediate for me. The night before uh, we did my first session, Dr. Bruce Tobin, who was here to do the session with me, uh, we did the standard psychometric tests. So those are standardized tests that they give to people to test things like uh, anxiety levels, depression, uh, despondency. Uh, on the anxiety scale, for example, I scored a 36 out of 50 on that scale, which is considered on the upper end of that. And we did the testing again the day after my session and my anxiety level had dropped to a six. So wow. literally overnight from a 36 to a six. And I find that the, uh, the treatment is fairly effective with a gradually diminishing effect uh, over the course of say three to six months. So this isn't a pill that I have to take every day. This isn't me being high all the time on mushrooms or anything like that. It's a therapeutic session once every three to six months. And it literally provides months of relief where I can almost forget about the, the struggle that daily cancer is uh, with being able to let go of uh, the panic that comes with any little ache and pain. So instead of feeling a, a gas cramp and having a panic attack, because I think this is the end and it's my last day and, and all of the other things that go with it, uh, I'm more able to just accept that it's just a pain and it'll go away. Uh, so actually spending time doing the things that I want to do spending time with my family, cooking a meal, going shopping at the mall, doing all of the, the normal things that you do with your family, taking a, a little vacation, uh, enjoying myself, having some laughs. Uh, when was your last journey? Last one that I had was in October. 
So that would be uh, October the 2nd of 2022. And are you currently allowed to legally have another one? I currently have no legal access to any therapeutic avenue. So I do not have my renewal on the Section 56. I do not have a doctor who will fill out the special access program for me. And I do not have access to a clinical trial. So right now, all doors to legal access to psilocybin therapy are closed to me. And in uh, in a month or two, when I know that I will be needing another treatment, I don't really have any option but to start looking at the underground or illegal means of accessing that. And this is a position that Health Canada is forcing me into. Where is it? Where is the process at with Health Canada? When was the last time you heard? And was there any indication that they will give you an answer? Or was it just an outright denial? The uh, last communication I had with Health Canada was actually just a, a few days ago, that, uh, that end of that 511-day period, um, where they, they said that their intention was to deny that. They offered me a 14-day period to reply to that, uh, which I have done, uh, replied back explaining the position that I'm in, uh, reiterating that I don't have access to any other mechanism but the Section 56 right now, and uh, and pointing out that uh, uh, traveling to British Columbia constantly is not financially viable for me. Uh, received an email back from them yesterday, as a matter of fact, thanking me for my email, uh, saying that they were going to put it on my file. And if I had any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. So That's so generous of them. They didn't actually answer any of the questions that I had in the email I sent them. They they seem to have just ignored that entirely. But uh, What was the rationale for, for the denial? Did they give you any specific reason, anything concrete? Yeah. Um, so it, it's a little frustrating for me. Uh, in one paragraph, they're saying that they are denying me access because I made use of the special access program. And then in the following paragraph, they are acknowledging that I don't have the financial means to continue going to British Columbia. So on one hand, they're saying you can't have it because you use the special access program already. And on the other hand, they're saying we recognize that you can't go to BC. But, uh, but any doctor can fill out the special access program, failing to recognize that uh, those doctors need to be trained. And this is something that I explained to them in my response was that technically speaking, you could go to any doctor and have surgery performed, right? It's <laughs> They could, but the chances are you're going to have a much better outcome if you go to a surgeon who is actually trained to perform procedures like that. Uh, so, so again, I'm, I'm hopeful that they recognize the uh, the value in what I'm trying to present to them, but they seem to be uh, going through the motions and actually ignoring the emails that I'm sending. Do you know of any other 
individuals in your position? Have you spoken to any of them? Is anybody else taking a different approach that is creating some benefits or some results? Well, the the sad part is, is that I know many, many people who are looking to have the uh, the therapeutic use of uh, psychedelic therapy. The majority of people that I have contacted are in the same position that I am in now and are being forced to look for underground providers. Now, that's not to say that there aren't qualified therapists who are going under the radar, so to speak, to provide the uh, the service because there are people who genuinely care. But an, the unfortunate part of that is there are also unqualified people who are delivering service to desperate people. And whenever you have the delivery of a health service by unqualified people, you are, have the potential for very dangerous or bad outcomes as a result of that. It, it seems that uh, Health Canada in, in this particular instance seems to be more focused on, I guess you could say, things like the, the MAID system, for example, where they're actually expanding access to it. Now, um, for, for the listeners who are not familiar with that, uh, MAID would be uh, an acronym for medical assistance in dying. Um, for somebody like myself who has terminal cancer right now, um, I could have access to the maid service in as little as three days. So if uh, I ran out of treatment options for my cancer and I was in physical discomfort and, and couldn't handle things, or or if I just decided now's the time, in as little as three days, I could end my life. But it has taken Health Canada 511 days to respond with a denial for a request to improve my quality of life for the time that I have left. So frustrating for me that they seem to have this emphasis on encouraging people to kill themselves as opposed to improving their quality of life. What advice would you give to your fellow travelers? Somebody that, like yourself, did all the work and, and, and got some results and now can't get any more because he's just being told no, for no good reason, uh, it appears. Uh, what, what would your message be to them? You know, I, I have spent all of my time since I got my, ap my application approved in 2020 telling people that your government representatives care about you and the system will work if you just trust in it and go through the process, get the legal access, you know, do the steps that it takes to, to have the safe legal access. And right now, the position that most of us are in is that Health Canada is denying that safe legal access. It is putting us into a position where we have to say, you have to do what you need to do to ensure your own quality of life and mental well-being is going to be there. And so for, for somebody like myself and for others like me, that 
that means that we really have no choice but to look at, uh, we'll call it civil disobedience. One of the beacons of hope that you're very familiar with is the constitutional challenge uh, brought by Paul Lewin and his legal team. You're a plaintiff, the lead plaintiff. And can you share with our audience just a kind of a high level what this action is about? In a nutshell, uh, it is my sincere belief that having access to this uh, natural substance and the, the therapeutic use of it, that it is my right as a Canadian and a human being to have the best quality of life and to have the ability to access this natural therapy. I believe that the delivery of any health-related service should be something that is determined between a patient and their doctor. And the insertion of a bureaucrat into the middle who has the ability to tell a doctor that they are incorrect about their choices that are being made between the doctor and the patient, uh, I believe that that is a violation of my rights and should not happen. And so for me, the challenge to, uh, to the charter is simply saying, take the bureaucrats out of my health delivery and restore it to uh, the condition where my health is something that is between my doctor and myself. You and I discussed the role of Health Canada, and I think we both agree that they obviously carry a lot of power, but they're also governed by elected officials. Uh, their mandates are given by elected officials. What would your message be to these elected officials in the context of what you have to deal with every day? Boy, there there are a lot of things I would really like to say to my uh, my politicians, but I, I think if I were to uh, to keep everything polite, there are thousands of Canadians like myself who are looking for this as a therapeutic option. We know that it's not going to help everybody with every condition, but currently the uh, the presence of psilocybin on the controlled substances list uh, lists it as something that is extremely dangerous and harmful and highly addictive. And the research says that none of those things are actually true. And if our politicians want to fight to keep that on the list, then I believe it's up to them to prove that what their reasons are, are true. I want to conclude the podcast by asking you what I think is probably the most important question. What has been the impact of psilocybin, as well as your battle, not just on your mental state, but on your family? How has it impacted your wife, your kids, your larger family? Well, um, when you go from a state like myself, where you find that your anxiety is so overwhelming that most days you can't even leave a quiet, dark room and you're not 
interacting with your family and you're not laughing, you're not sharing memories, it, it means that for the life that you have left, you are not, you are alive, but you're not really living. Psilocybin-assisted therapy for me has given me back the time that I have left with my family. Being able to uh, to actually be present with your loved ones when you know that you've only got a limited amount of time available. Um, to be able to uh, to tell them the lessons you want them to learn, to uh, be able to to create memories, to to have uh, laughter, and and to have all of those things that you wish you could do and to be actually be able to do those it's priceless how can you put a value on that thank you so much for spending some time with me today and for sharing and let's hope that uh, our, our elected officials uh, find some reason and some compassion and, and do the right thing and the sooner the better thank you thomas Thank you, Mike.